Welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. This is part two of a two-part series which I am doing on exercise and chronic fatigue. So if you haven't already listened to the previous episode, I would highly recommend that you do. In that previous episode, I covered the basics. So for somebody starting out, not really knowing where to begin, how to begin, maybe starting from a very low physical baseline, things to think about as you build up your exercise capacity on a more basic level. In this episode, I'm going to go into a little bit more detail and talk about how we start to expand our capacity and how we start to expand our exercise tolerance. So this might be appropriate for somebody who's already doing a consistent amount of walking. They have a fairly stable baseline in terms of their day-to-day activities of daily living, house chores, self-care, socializing work, things like that. And how do you take things to the next level? I'll be weaving in a lot of my own personal experience, but I would just like to say first and foremost is that my experience is not going to necessarily be your experience. Everybody has a different body. Everybody has a different nervous system. Everybody has different wounds, whether they're emotional wounds or physical wounds or imbalances that need healing. And depending on the complexity of that whole picture, different things are going to work for your own body at different times. And and this is something that I always stress because sometimes you can see things online and people selling you like magic solutions and magic formulas. And even though it maybe sounds a bit negative, I don't believe that those things exist. What I believe in is um, listening to your body and finding the different tools that you need to heal as you move through the journey. That's all part of the process. So with that said, um, how do you build up your exercise tolerance and capacity? Well, the first thing I would usually ask someone, so let's use the example, you've been consistently walking, you know you can walk for 45 minutes, an hour, shall we say, and you don't get post-exertional malaise, and you're wanting to take things to the next level. How do you do that? Well, the first question I would ask you would be, how do you want to be exercising? Because Some people want to start to be able to run again. They've always been a runner and they want to get back into running, maybe one day even run a marathon. Or maybe it's surfing or swimming or water sports or cycling. For me, it was resistance training and dynamic yoga. So we need to know where we're going so that we can then take the appropriate steps to get there. So the first question for you to reflect on is, If I see myself fully healthy, fully well, going about my everyday life, what type of exercise routine do I have? What do I see myself doing? And then you can extrapolate backwards from there to work out what the steps are. So as I said, my goal was to do weightlifting and dynamic yoga. Those were things that were a big part of my life before I became unwell. And therefore, um, there were things I wanted back. So it would make sense then that I started to extrapolate backwards and think about how I could build that up. So the first step I thought was, well, I want to be able to do dynamic yoga. And that dynamic yoga is probably a stepping stone towards then more body weight resistance training and then weight resistance training. 
So what if I start with a less dynamic yoga practice or a shorter dynamic yoga practice? And that meant that I actually started using specific examples here. I started using an online platform, Movement for Modern Life. It's a fantastic online yoga um, platform. I've been a member of theirs for years. So I already had the membership and um, I was using it for restorative practices and things like that anyway. So then I started some very, very gentle Qigong style yoga flows. And I started literally with like 10 minutes. Unfortunately, they have all the videos. So all the videos are listed in terms of duration and then intensity so I just started doing like 10 minutes then 20 minutes and then so on and so on and then eventually moving gently into more dynamic practices and then from that point then I started to do some body weight resistance training and then very light resistance training and then heavier and heavier and heavier resistance training so those were my stepping stones But I got to that place from, first of all, knowing where I was going and then working backwards, just taking the first step without a timeline in mind, without saying, oh, I want to be deadlifting my body weight in six months time. If I had said that, I would have failed because that didn't happen. Um, And it still hasn't happened because I'm not deadlifting yet. But it was it's just being unattached to the time frame because we can only move as fast as the slowest part, but just focus on taking the next step. And that's all you need to do. The other thing you want to think of is what is your past experience of this movement or of this exercise? Maybe before you became unwell, you were a runner and something has shifted in your chronic fatigue experience and you're like, I don't ever want to run again, but I've always wanted to surf. And so then moving from one discipline that your body knows and remembers to a new discipline, which maybe your body has no conscious memory of, might be good in some ways, might be bad in some ways, or more challenging, shall I say, in some ways. It could be good if there are some negative associations with running. Maybe in the past you were a runner, you had a tendency to push yourself too hard, you had a tendency to overtrain, and therefore running is coupled with a lot of distress. And therefore, this is also not to say that just because running was coupled with a lot of distress in the past, doesn't mean that running is now has to be coupled with distress in the future. We can uncouple distress in the body from the running. That's part of what I do in the somatic work is uncouple things that have become overcoupled. But um, that's like an extra piece that would maybe need to be done in this exercise journey. So if running had a lot of distress associated with it in the past, and now you're trying something completely new, there could also be distress associated with trying something completely new, but let's say there's not, then it's like you're starting with this fresh, clean slate, there's just, you know, only joy associated with this new thing, that could actually be really beneficial. On the flip side, the body has muscle memory. I think one of the reasons I was able to increase my strength and muscle mass so quickly was because my body just remembered what it had done for years and years and years. And I could sort of ride the wave of the stored memory in my body. And that was very beneficial, potentially. And so if you're learning something completely new, that might take a little bit more time. And that's okay. 
it's just really knowing, I think coming back to that first question of how do you see your life moving forward? When you visualize yourself fully healthy and fully well, what are you doing? What brings you joy, happiness and aliveness and you know, pursue that thing. Just bear in mind the extra challenges and extra benefits that might come along the way. The next thing to think about is how long have you been deconditioned? So maybe you were bed bound for five years and now you're finally walking again. Or maybe you were only sick for like six months and now you're walking again. Those two situations are very, very different because the person who was maybe strong and fit and healthy, then deconditioned for six months and has been building up their walking, is going to be in a very different place physically than somebody who was maybe never very fit and healthy, then was bed bound for five years and now has only just built up the strength to walk. The amount of muscle mass, the muscle memory in the body, the innate sense of strength and the neural connections that activate the muscles are going to be very different in those two pictures. So depending on how deconditioned someone is, they may need to start extra slow. And this might mean going to see a physio so we can build up the strength in the small muscles, the stabilizing muscles, so that our body can be really well stabilized as we move into more dynamic and physically challenging things. Maybe you don't need to see a physio, but maybe some Pilates could be really good to build up those deep core stabilizing muscles. And from that place, you can progress. So in my own journey, I did a little bit of Pilates as well. I did feel that the yoga, the Qigong style yoga kind of did tick the box of that slow, gentle conditioning. But I also did Pilates work to stabilize my core, to work on activating my glutes, all those muscles that generally even in healthy fit people can be a little bit weak. Um, doing some work around really stabilizing the body before we start to become more dynamic or we start to lift heavier weights or move more explosively can be really helpful. And that's kind of what you maybe would have heard me say about most things. You know, we need to stabilize the nervous system. We need to stabilize the blood sugar. So all good things are built from a place of stability and therefore doing some core conditionings and physiotherapies and Pilates work as you're getting more, as you're getting moving again can be really beneficial. So then the next question is, what other commitments do you have? And I touched on this a bit in the previous episode, which is, you know, we have a bucket and the bucket can only hold so much. And if we've got lots of different things that we're trying to hold in our bucket, eventually it's going to overflow. Something's got to give. So if we're trying to build up our exercise capacity, that's one thing in the bucket. If we're still working on our healing and doing a complex gut protocol or detoxification protocol, that's another thing in the bucket. If we're working on childhood trauma and digging up deep emotional wounds, that's another thing in the bucket. If we're going back to work, if we're taking on more responsibility at work, if we're doing more socializing, if we have you know, big things going on in our lives, moving home, maybe um, you know, looking after a sick loved one or perhaps there's been a loss in the family, all of these things are things in our buckets. 
And thinking about progressing your exercise where you've got lots of other things occupying space in your bucket might not make a lot of sense and might be setting you up for failure. So it's a really good question to ask, is now the right time to be building your exercise capacity? And, you know, you'll hear people say there is never any right, it's never the right time. Sometimes you just have to go for it. And I do agree with that, but sometimes are better than others. So in my own journey, I was walking successfully. I was walking, I could walk or hike like an hour and a half up to three hours, depending on the conditions, depending on the day where I was in my cycle, how I was feeling. But I really struggled to do anything that was strength or resistance based or more dynamic, like a front crawl swim versus a very slow breaststroke swim. And so then I discovered I had the mold mycotoxins. I started a detox protocol. And fortunately, at that stage, I'd done a lot of the work already. I was supporting my nervous system. I had worked on my digestive health. I had my blood sugar sorted. My sleep was sorted. I was in a routine, you know, with work, with home, no major stresses going on. Literally, the only thing I had to focus on was my detox protocol and my exercise capacity. So I chose that time. And the two kind of went hand in hand because a month after starting the detoxification protocol, which was just really regular trips to the sauna and then taking binders, I generally was starting to feel a little bit better. So it was intuitive to put that extra energy that I was getting into doing a little bit more physical activity. And that's when I started to add in the body weight resistance training and it started really really small just doing I can't even remember I think I must have it written down somewhere but just doing body weight exercise resting two minutes between each set making sure my heart rate came right down between sets and just doing like a set of lower body a set of upper body and then very gently from there building up. So that brings me to the next thing, which is what does your body actually tolerate? Because I knew my body could tolerate walking, but I really wanted to be able to do the resistance training. And so initially my body could tolerate the Qigong yoga. And so that was something that I could add in. But I knew if I had gone straight into the weightlifting, my body wasn't going to tolerate that. I knew if I'd gone straight into dynamic swimming, my body was going to tolerate that. So I had to guide myself towards what I wanted to do by listening and testing as well through trial and error what my body would tolerate. And then actually as my mycotoxin load decreased, what my body could tolerate expanded and then I was able to introduce more things. And so here I would say as well is this is where we kind of want to break away from that, do the same thing each day consistently, because that didn't work for me. When I first started doing the resistance training, I maintained my walking and then I was just adding in one set of lower body work, one set of upper body work. And I don't know if I did that every day or every other day, but then eventually I made those workouts a little bit bigger. So then it was two sets of each. And then it was 
um, you know, three exercises, two sets of each, and then it was four exercises, two sets of each, and then it was four exercises, three sets of each. So I was very, very gradually building up how many reps and how many sets I was doing of the different exercises. And then eventually over time where I had two minutes rest in between exercises then it was 90 seconds rest and then it was 75 seconds rest and then it was 60 seconds rest but that was over a course of months so months building up the amount of reps building up the amount of sets reducing the rest breaks and then eventually going back to the gym but as I was starting to do more in a workout, it meant that I wasn't doing that workout every day. It meant that I would do that workout maybe three times a week with days in between where I just walked. And on the days I was doing a workout, I was reducing my step count. And then later on, as my capacity grew, instead of reducing my step count, then I tried to do the same workout, but do more steps on a day. So there were all these little variables that I was changing just strategically one small step at a time so that over time across the course of a week not necessarily the course of a day across the course of a week on average I was doing more steps and across the course of a week I was shifting more weight in terms of reps and sets of different exercises and then I was also reducing the rest break between sets and reps of exercises so that in a shorter space of time in a workout I was getting more work done. So that was essentially my approach. And there's a couple of other things I wanted to add in there, which is it's also important to have rest days and rest weeks. So maybe just once a week where you just don't even worry about your step count. And you just, I really like yin yoga for recovery and actually do little bits of yin yoga every day, even if it's just 15 minutes or 20 minutes, I do yin most days, but maybe have a day when I would just do a nice long, hour long yin yoga practice. I'd maybe just walk down to the beach, which is like 1,500 steps, have a little swim in the ocean, not an exercise swim, but just a nice gentle float around in the ocean, walk back another 1,500 steps. And that would be my rest day versus, you know, doing a proper swim, doing 10,000 steps, doing a workout. So have one day a week where you either do a reduced load, very slow, gentle, something or other, so that you can support your body to recover. And then also use self-monitoring. So with my workouts, I write down everything. So I have a little notebook and um, it's a shame I don't actually have it here with me as I'm recording because it would be interesting to look back and see exactly what I was doing. But I would write down, okay, lunges. What weight did I use for the lunges? Okay, two five kilo dumbbells. How many reps did I do for the first set? 12 reps. How much rest break did I have? Two minutes. How many reps did I do for the second set? 12 reps. How much rest break did I have? Two minutes. And so I'd write everything down and then the next week when I come back to do that workout, I can see, okay, I did this many reps, this many sets, this was the rest break. What is a variable I feel comfortable changing today? Okay, let me just see if I can do two more reps per set. Well, maybe today is the day I'm going to keep the weight the same, the reps the same, but I'm going to see if I can reduce the rest break. Or maybe I'm going to increase the weight, but I'll 
in- keep the number of reps the same and the number of sets the same, but maybe actually just give myself a little bit more time to recover now the weight is heavier. So writing everything down means that I'm constantly seeing what is that little increment I can do each week so I'm doing just that little bit more. That being said, some weeks you need to do less if you're not feeling great around my period, would maybe do a little bit less, make things a little bit easier. So there are also times when we strategically want to take a step back. We don't, we want to be overloading the body, but we also want to be honoring the body. We can use self-monitoring in the form of heart rate. So I would use a Garmin heart rate monitor when I did my workouts and I would be when I was working out at home, I don't tend to do this now that I'm in the gym because it's a bit weird, but I would do a work, do a exercise, and then I would lie down on my back. The goal is to bring my heart rate down to a resting level as quickly as possible. And that resting level for me was usually somewhere between 70 and 80 beats per minute, but it may be variable for you depending on what your natural resting heart rate is. But I found if I could bring my heart rate back down in between sets, and then my body wasn't staying in a sustained high heart rate for the duration of my workout, and that was supportive of um, not doing too much and recovering. Now that I'm back at the gym and I'm using shorter rest breaks, I'm not lying down on the gym floor between sets that don't tend to do that, and my heart rate is higher across the workout. But if I have a day when I'm feeling a little bit more tired or I'm just quite conscious I don't want to overdo things too much, then I will still use the strategy and still aim to bring my heart rate down between sets if I feel that I don't want to go as hard that day or I might need a little bit more recovery time. Maybe I'm earlier in my cycle. Maybe I'm just feeling a bit more tired for whatever reason. So it's still a strategy I use today. We also sometimes need to take a step back, to take a step forward. And I remember in my own journey, it got to the point where I had been following this formula and progressing, progressing, progressing over time. And then I just got, had a really bad month and I just felt like not so great. And when I reflected back, I was like, you've been doing more and more and more and more for months now. Maybe you just need to have a couple of weeks where you deload because that's what a strength athlete would do. They would progressively overload the body for a number of weeks and then they would take a strategic deload to just allow the nervous system to adjust. So I'll say it once, I'll say it again. Recovering from chronic fatigue is like being an athlete and therefore we have to use the same strategies that athletes use and that means taking strategic rest days, taking strategic rest weeks or using deloading principles when we've been loading the body for a period of time. And then the final thing I'll add here is also that we can use supplements to support the body. I talked a little bit about post-exertional malaise in one of the previous episodes, so you can look out for that one. Um, and I touched on this, but when I was doing building up my um, exercise capacity, I would also use supplements to support my body. So branched-chain amino acids during workouts along with electrolytes and creatine just to stop the break tissue breakdown 
because it's often the tissue breakdown and being overwhelmed by excessive tissue breakdown that can contribute to the post-exertional malaise. It's not the only thing. Um, but I would use branched-chain amino acids, electrolytes, creatine in a water bottle, and I just drink that when working out. And then sometimes post-workout, just to manage inflammation, high-dose turmeric. So I really like um, the Nutri-Advanced brand of turmeric, um, which is, I think it's called Curcumin Megazorb. Um, and I one capsule is 500 milligrams, so do 1,000 milligrams, one gram with a meal after working out just to calm down any inflammation from the workout. And then um, sometimes glutathione as well, 500 milligrams of liposomal glutathione post-workout to help as well. Obviously, just eating really well post-workout, making sure there's lots of bright, colorful foods, good sources of protein so that the body is getting everything that needs to recover. And then I mentioned already, it's not a supplement, but I really would like, I really used yin yoga and found yin yoga very beneficial on the days after I had resistance trained. So eventually I got to the point where I was doing like a, what I would call in quotes, like a proper workout, like basically a workout that's very similar to what I used to do before becoming unwell. Like 45 minutes to an hour of decent loaded weight training and then the next day I would maybe feel a bit tired and a bit achy from that but if I did a yin yoga practice in the morning then um, that would really just help um, to sort of sort my body out clear a lot of the inflammation really just help to reset things a bit um, the next day so really love yin yoga for recovery I also would use yin yoga when I was working out at home. I would maybe do a 20, 30 minute workout and then do another 15 or 20 minutes of yin straight afterwards just to help my nervous system come back down again after doing that workout. The final thing I'll say, I've touched on the major points that I wanted to discuss, but the final thing I wanted to say here as well is that when I started, I did feel more tired and sometimes I would get a little bit of post-exertional malaise. I'd have a little bit more brain fog. I'd feel a little bit more achy. I'd feel a little bit more tired. And that was actually something I chose to push through. And this is where we have to be very delicate because there's pushing through and making yourself worse over time. And there's pushing through and becoming more resilient over time. And sometimes it's hard for us to know when we're going to experience which one. So when I first started resistance training, I would feel quite tired, actually very grumpy sometimes for the rest of the day and a bit achy. But I would generally find that if I had a good night's sleep, if I ate good food, if I did all my restorative practices, if I took my supplements, by the next day, I would feel like tired because I did a workout, but not um, no cognitive symptoms, not the brain fog, the headaches, the mood changes, difficulty concentrating. I would just feel like, oh yeah, I worked out yesterday, but my head is still clear. And so that for me was a sign like I'm recovering enough. And that was something that I just kind of had to work through. And every time I did a little bit 
more. Like, for example, there was one day I miscalculated the weight on one of my bars and I was ended up doing about five or 10 kilograms more than what I thought I was doing. And I was like, oh, that was really hard. That was really heavy today. Why am I so weak? And then the next day I just felt quite inflamed and like I hadn't really recovered very well. Um, and so I'm using this example because it, it was just like whenever I introduce something new, something that's different, or I go just a little bit too far, a little bit too much, increase things a little bit too quickly, then maybe some of the post-exertional malaise symptoms would come back. But they wouldn't be completely dysregulating. They wouldn't be interfering with my ability to do my life. Um, and then the next time I circle back to the same thing again, the response is much more settled. So it's just like, say you haven't been to the gym for a while and then you go to the gym and the next day you have what we call DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. You feel really sore, you feel really achy. It's kind of like that, but you have some of the cognitive symptoms as well. But then if that same person who hadn't gone to the gym went to the gym, they got really sore, but then they went to the gym a few more times and they stopped getting as sore from the workout again. So it's the same in this case is that initially sometimes you trigger some mild symptoms, but they feel manageable, but then you stay consistent, you keep doing what you're doing and eventually doing the same thing no longer triggers you. And so there was this kind of like sticky bit that I I chose to navigate my way and just push through and it worked out. Um, but I'm not in your body. I don't know what you're experiencing. I'm not suggesting that everybody needs to push through. What I am suggesting is that you learn your body and um, also you don't let things stress you out too much because I think for me, for the most part, I could keep quite a cool head about what I was experiencing. I was like, yeah, I did a lot yesterday. I probably did too much. That's probably why I feel like this. But I'm sure next time it won't be so bad. And I could just kind of be quite rational about it. And then I didn't get sucked into the anxiety and dysregulation of my symptoms. But some people can get very anxious about their symptoms and they get pulled into what I call the trauma vortex of the symptoms, which means they start spiraling and dysregulating themselves, obsessing and worrying about their symptoms. That's not helpful. And if that's happening to you, then I would suggest learning nervous system tools first. So join the Nurturing Resilience Program. And then you could go back into working on building up your exercising capacity. So I feel like that is a good time to wrap up this episode. I felt like there was so much I wanted to say about my own journey. And I probably missed out many, many things. But hopefully you just got a sense of how I approached it. And then also just to expect that it's not going to be perfectly plain sailing. And sometimes you will overshoot the mark. You won't feel so great. But if you can recover and bounce back pretty quickly, you can still maintain the momentum and move forward. So that is all for me today. As always, if you have enjoyed the episode, please share it with the people that may need it. Share it on your social media. Leave a review on iTunes. And I will see you in the next episode.